You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hi, this is Paul Lazarus. In the 1980s, I produced and hosted a radio series called Anything Goes, a celebration of the American musical theater. Now the Broadway Podcast Network is bringing back these shows. This is the first of a three-part series examining the extraordinary music of composer Stanley Silverman. This program originally aired in 1980 and featured songs from notable Silverman shows like Elephant Steps, Dr. Selevy's Magic Theater, and Hotel for Criminals. About to go on the air, reaching out to our secret listeners, secretly bringing them a warning over the secret air into their secret ears. Where am I? You're on the radio. You're on the radio. What an opportunity to be valuable to the people who should mean a lot to you. I'm talking about all your secret friends over the airwaves. You're on the radio, you're on the radio, talking to hundreds of years, listening to the radio voice, that is radio too. I'm talking about our anonymous guest, who is sitting beside us. He's on the radio too. I hope he's no longer unconscious because invisible faces are turned in invisible ways. The better to hear. Good afternoon and welcome to Anything Goes. This is Paul Lazarus. The song you just heard, You're on the Radio, is from an opera entitled Elephant Steps by Richard Foreman and my guest today on Anything Goes, composer Stanley Silverman. Today we'll concentrate on early pieces, specifically three collaborations with writer-director Richard Foreman, Elephant Steps, Dr. Selevy's Magic Theater, and Hotel for Criminals. Join us for the next hour and a half as Anything Goes examines the extraordinary work of composer Stanley Silverman. I guess what I'm looking for is, is to figure out what makes someone like you become a composer. Well, I think um, I was born in, in the Bronx, in um, the northern Bronx, which was an interesting area because a lot of the either Social Democrats or uh, Mensheviks or um, Trotskyists settled there and it's a very interesting area also because I think it has the first amalgamated housing uh, it was a big kind of union Russian Jewish uh, 
climate there. Now, there was no music in my family. Nobody played anything. I think my mother played a little piano. I remember a player piano when I was very young in the house, but that was converted into my father's desk um, before I was about five. So I, I would say that the sense of being a musician was never really uh, laid on my head, except for maybe the general atmosphere. I can remember certain things, which is that my mother used to take me to uh, shows and, and plays and various world's fairs and, and things that would... To, to musicals? Or? Yeah, to musicals. Uh, early Kurt Weill musicals, I'd be about five or six, and I think I, I was taken to um, One Touch of Venus. Uh, and also, I do remember the um, Porgy and Best revival. I was about four. I didn't see it, but that had set off... Uh, during the 40s, during the war, the, the big, as I can uh, read about it now, the big Gershwin revival, because uh, that particular piece, as everyone knows, was uh, condemned uh, fairly universally when it was first uh, produced in, in the mid-30s, but made a spectacular comeback in the <coughs> early 40s and got in, uh, a lot of airplay on the radio. So Porgy and Bess was all over my childhood. Then I would say that my mother was a foreign film buff, and in the Bronx was this foreign film theater called the Ascot, and she used to take me to see, at times, the then new Eisenstein films, like the, the uh, latter part of uh, Ivan, and uh, she took me to all of those. I, so I remember, also as a child, just blurry images of these crazed Russians and, and Teutons racing across uh, various <laughs> battlefields to Prokofiev's music. There is nothing in my music that doesn't deal with that right now, so I would have to say that that was fairly much the, the, the forceful introduction to, uh, to music in my life, because as I say, I still find that in my music now. I live by my wits a little here, a little there. I don't have a boss to tell me this or tell me that. I pick a little up and I lay a little down and I get along somehow. I don't punch a clock or sign a book or tip my hat. I don't take advice, they tell me this, they tell me that. I pick a little up and I lay a little down and I get along somehow. I get along somehow, yes, I get along somehow. You don't play piano, you play guitar, isn't that correct? I can't play piano uh, up to the point that it's almost a uh, neurotic symptom. You know, I don't know why. I probably have tried and struggled at a piano maybe longer than some of the uh, pianists, but I just can't uh, play. I was a guitarist. A, I know, um, a classical guitarist yeah, as well. Yes. Did you perform a lot with uh, classical guitar, or was it just for really for yourself? I performed a lot largely because of, so, I, I couldn't understand, but some fluke. I think it may have had to do with the fact that I was studying music uh, actively at the same time I was studying the guitar, but independently. So I was always able to read on the guitar. It was like my keyboard harmony instrument. It would be the thing I'd struggle through Bach chorales, and I learned the clefs, you know, all the clefs, the uh, vocal clefs as well. So I could always read very well on the guitar, which meant that in the um, late 50s, early 60s, when the, the then avant-garde and new music arrived from Europe on the shores and uh, also the American music that was very uh, complex and post-serial, post-12-tone. Um, I got very much involved in that and was the guitar player that played all the boulets, 
um, the Sch uh, Schoenberg, Webern uh, pieces, Kagel, uh, many cases, premieres of these works, or in the cases of the uh, older masters, like Schoenberg, uh, participated in, in first regional performances of these works that had been written in the 20s that they just couldn't uh, put on because they didn't have a guitar player that could play it. Mm -hmm. And that's actually how I made my um, career in music. And everything that I've done now, all my contacts with conductors, with recording companies, um, publishers, uh, all the people I seem to know now, I really can trace back to the days when I was touring with Boulez and um, uh, Arthur Weisberg, uh, playing in California in the Monday evening concerts, you know, with um, the various, as I say, uh, Schoenberg uh, pieces. What were your early compositions like? Uh, I didn't. I didn't compose at first. Um, I, 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 let's go back for a, a second because there is something that I suppose comes to mind. Uh, is that because I never really had a, a formal musical uh, family training, you know, uh, and did have this, as I say, year and a half, two years of guitar lessons. I, I have to say that as as a child, uh, my parents and my father, especially, uh, to, every Saturday would take me to a live stage show, a stage show to see the big bands of the big entertainers at the um, Capitol, uh, the Paramount, uh -huh. the Roxy. I remember even seeing the Boston Symphony once, you know, during a war relief, playing all Soviet composers, um, Kuzovitsky, and, <laughs> and then followed by some pop singer, you know, uh, Dick Ames kind of thing. Uh -huh. So I used to see these things. I was uh, enamored. I loved them, and plus seeing the movies, you know. Um, and then uh, my father would take me for my birthday as a child to nightclubs to see um, people like Louis Armstrong. And, and then in the summers we would go to the Catskills where I used to see these, these live entertainers. I worshipped them, you know, people like um, Jerry Lewis. And so I I'd always, always was on my mind to be in show business. Okay, so that was like the first thing. Now the only tool I had really was the guitar. At a time, there was a time when I was trying to be a stand-up comic I mean, as a child, and would get up and bore relatives, and, <laughs> and then because my parents—did you ever do that publicly? Oh, sure. My parents were season um, guests at Brown's Hotel, and to humor me, they would put me on. You know, maybe on a Wednesday when it was quiet, and I'd get up in front of these eight hundred Jews and try and make them <laughs> laugh and do low-down <laughs> humor. You know, um, great. And also then at high school, the high school performing arts, I used to um, MC the G.O. shows, which were these afternoon shows, like uh, similar to the film, Fame. I mean, it's true that lunchtime havoc with people pounding uh, was a little, uh, it was correct in that, well, the difference being that we used to have organized lunchtime shows, and I used to host them and MC them and stand up there and do a 20-minute thing where I would attempt to... Um, crack up my uh, colleagues in the school. It never entered my mind to compose, except I think the senior show at the High School of Performing Arts, um, I believe I was a junior, but it was a senior show that Michael Kahn was directing, and he asked me if I would write the score. And I sat down and wrote some very, very bad popular songs. Um, to get into the High School of Performing Arts, I had played a guitar concerto, so I think at that point, uh, you know, my classical chops were coming up, but I never really reconciled classical music with something you would write. Um, and I would say that in high school and even as an undergraduate in college, uh, 
I was very interested in Stravinsky and Prokofiev and, and Russian music and Rodgers and Hart. Uh, not Rodgers and Hammerstein, I found them soupy, you know, syrupy at that time. You're listening to Anything Goes with guest composer Stanley Silverman. You heard two songs from Mr. Silverman's score to Dr. Selevy's Magic Theater. Barry Primus performed I Live By My Wits, and then Poor Boy was sung by Barry Primus, Robert Schlee, and Denise de la Pena. Poor Boy with lyrics and music by Mr. Silverman. Now back to a pre-recorded interview with composer Stanley Silverman. So what actually got you into theater? Well, I think, first of all, so much um, in anybody's career is based on accident. I would say that one thing that was very important in, in my background uh, was the fact that all, for some reason, during uh, my childhood, when my mother would take me to see these films, you have to understand that, that my favorite films were Eisenstein films and Cocteau films, like Beauty and the Beast. I mean, as a child, these were my, you know. So, uh, again, you can't really put all that together um, at a time when the society isn't dealing with it or your, your peers are, or even your, your school uh, is. So uh, let's just hold that on the side for a minute because the next thing, um, I remember in college when I decided to go on to graduate school, I met Leon Kirchner. I talked to him about going on to Mills College and studying with him and that I was interested in theater, and he said, well, you should really then study 
really study Stravinsky as theater, and then you could do whatever the hell you want. If you want to write Rogers and Hart shows, fine, but, but it would be my responsibility to see that you had the most incredibly formal theater kind of education. And, and he said, I mean this theater in the symphony and three movements, this theater in Agon, you know, have you gone to see Balanchine? Have you gone and seen any of that work? I mean, mm -hmm. this is stuff that, that, that has a direct relationship to West Side Story and the kind of pieces that you seem to talk about that you like, you know. So I went out to Mills College and Mio was there teaching. And I would talk to Mio about Cocteau and about, you know, um, all these wonderful French films that I'd seen. And, and again, this is hard to believe, but in, in, in high school and college, you know, all by myself, I would seek out and go to uh, Bresson films and Hans Richter films because it was in a way picking up what my mother would uh, instinctively this kind of Russian Jewish housewife would just go because she would see either passion or fantasy in these films that she wouldn't see so much in, in uh, American films of that right. period. <laughs> I got very much interested in theater and music really through French films throughout the 50s, uh, older films that I saw in the 50s you know and when I went to school in California at Berkeley, they would show every um, week, you know, a, a Bresson film or th these kind of things. So I, I got hooked really through Mio into the kind of theater that I was interested in mm -hmm. um, and was, if I can tell you that my favorite play at the time was a thing called The Marriage at the Eiffel Tower, which is absurd. I mean, it was written by Cocteau and it had music by Mio and Onager and all those, those people. And, and then began to get uh, terrifically um, influenced by what was still then, and I'm afraid has pretty much died out by now, the, the tremendous influence in California that Stravinsky, Schoenberg, and all the immigrants um, had mm -hmm. on, on the West Coast, including theater, you know, began to read Verfel. Uh, began to uh, ask all kinds of questions about what life must have been like with Brecht in L.A., when he was there, uh, got to meet Schoenberg's widow, got to meet, um, through Kirchner, all kinds of characters, you know, Leonard Stein, uh, people that were involved with Schoenberg and Eisler and Charles Lawton, mm -hmm. people that would talk about the premiere of Galileo, and this was the world that I wanted to be part of. Uh, I had no particular relationship to Broadway, had no feel for Broadway, um, still have a little trouble with that. of Berlin I must leave you soon Ah, will you forget me? Was I ever really here? Find me a bar on the cobblestone streets where the boys are pretty I cannot love for more than one day, but one day is enough in this city. Find me a boy with two ocean blue eyes and show him. eyes he never need see how they eat you alive in this city 
of Berlin, will you miss me? Streets of Berlin, do you care? Streets of Berlin, will you cry out if I vanish into thin air? Streets of Berlin, will you cry out if I vanish into Dennis Cooley performing Streets of Berlin, a song written for the play Bent, with lyrics by author Martin Sherman and music by my guest today on Anything Goes, composer Stanley Silverman. Does that take us up to into theater, though? Yeah, well, one of the things, in California, the Actors' Workshop uh, was then run by um, Jules Irving and Herbert Blau. At the time, I was at Mills College. Ironically, I think I had met them uh, at the Brussels Fair. I had a college jazz band that won a contest, and we were there at the same time they were there <laughs> doing um, Godot, waiting Believe for Godot. Believe it or not, I was at the Brussels Fair, but I was oh, yes? very young. <laughs> <laughs> but in any event, um, the issue of theater, uh, working in theater, came about specifically because after Mills, when I came back to the East Coast, I was teaching a tango in the summer, just writing music, music, had, as a guitar player, made the plunge into the new music world and began to write, new, quote, new music, was totally uh, involved in, that, in this sort of Boulez, Elliot Carter, Milton Babbitt, Kirchner uh, world, loving it, loving the personalities, the, just thinking it was exactly where I wanted to be. Got to be an assistant to Lucas Foss, you know, and things were, were quite good. But in 65, um, Blau and Irving were appointed the directors of the new Lincoln Center repertory theater. And when they came east, uh, it was suggested that since I had some relationship with them from the west, that they needed an east coast musician to be both the musical director for the theater and, uh, coincidentally, the the union-appointed house contractor for that very theater, oh. somebody that the, both the union and the management would agree to. You know. It didn't be the same person, but in a way it saves a salary. You know. I want to go to your work now and start off with Elephant Steps, which was in 1968. First we should talk about really is your getting to know Richard Foreman and who is really your primary collaborator and uh, how, how did that come about? Oh well that, again, <laughs> that's easier than it sounds. Um, my then wife, uh, Mary, formerly Mary Delson, was a college roommate of Richard's then wife, Amy Taubin, uh, actress. <laughs> and uh, I had known Richard ever since we were married. He was at that time just breaking away from writing more conventional plays. You know, he had an agent, he was writing Arthur Miller type uh, dramas and getting them optioned, and there'd be noise every once in a while that they'd be produced with uh, main, mainstream actors and directors. He certainly wasn't directing at that time. And we used to see him a lot, and that's how I met him. But uh, we're talking about somebody I'd spent maybe 15, 20 social evenings with, but never really talked about working with. You know? uh -huh. So how did Elephant Steps come about then? Which is your first piece together, isn't it? Yeah, well it's also really my first, I suppose, theater piece, opera kind of uh, piece. I, I was writing music at, at the Beaumont, <clears throat> incidental music for plays, and, and at that point my serious composition was my serious composition. I mean, it had no theatricality, and 
uh, wasn't about theater. And in fact, I really totally resented at that time that, that electric circus kind of uh, music theater that was so prevalent in music because I was a really purist in terms of what I thought music should be. And I hated the idea of, you know, slideshows or electronic soup and, you know, actors coming out in, in masks and speaking lines, uh, rather the musicians talking and, uh -huh. you know, redoing these kind of uh, various myths for a percussionist, an oboist, you know, with uh, plus electronic tape, with processions and environments. And I just, that stuff I found boring, boring, boring to death. So I would continue to write pieces that would just be played on the, the new music circuit. But uh, Tanglewood commissioned me to write a music theater work, and um, I was a little taken back because I wanted, I would have preferred to say write a, a work for the, the orchestra, the Boston Symphony. Or, you know. So I um, talked to Richard, who was the writer I was friendliest with, I mean he was the one writer I knew, and I asked him if he had anything. I knew I didn't want to do an opera, you know, so I didn't want to go to any kind of librettist and, and, and write like a one-act opera because I found that stuff very puny, you know. And, and in fact, I made sketches along those lines and, and threw them out myself, you know, destroyed them. I, I also made a kind of free-form sketch that was not unlike the thing I described that I disliked, you know, very arty, you know, uh, kind uh -huh. of um, slideshow sort of thing. So anyhow, Richard um, wrote something and said, look, if you like it, we can do it, you know. And he had just broken from his, his um, overtly narrative style and, and was writing in much leaner, almost Gertrude Stein-like repetitive cells. Um, and it was gorgeous. I mean, I read the thing and I said, well, this is terrific, but it's also uh, very musical. And it read like my favorite play, you know, The uh, Marriage at the Eiffel Tower. And it seemed like a translation. So I felt like that I was almost writing I fantasized myself as this kind of French Dada composer, you know. I just thought it was great, and I sat down in four months and just poured it out, you know, just knocked it out, mm -hmm. and loved the whole collaboration. Loved his mind and working with him, and um, his tremendous wit and, and indeed patience, because uh, I can't say this is true for everyone, but certainly uh, my composing t it takes many, many uh, more times longer than his writing, you know. So. Very often we'd get an idea, he would come up with his solution, and about, you know, weeks later I'd come back with, right. <laughs> with the musical part of it. Read my palm. 
my face is shaking. Composer Stanley Silverman, Part 1. Anything Goes Backstage with Broadway's Best is produced and hosted by Paul Lazarus. For more information, visit anythinggoespl.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and follow us. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.